Welcome to the Diversity on the Hill podcast with Pastor Jonathan and Pastor Curcio. Here are the ground rules for our conversation. Respect one another. Openness. No assumptions allowed. Mistakes are welcome. And let's grow together. Enjoy the conversation. Howdy. I'm going Southern. <laughs> now you're Southern. Well, we live in the South. Well, you are at Southern. So I had a conversation today. It came up just today. Okay. While I was driving here to meet with you. And it was an old friend of mine from the first church that I worked at. Mm-hmm. And politically back then, we were polar opposites. Polar. I, I mean, mm. totally, totally polar opposites. Okay. Okay. That remember that's when I was a Democrat. Right, right, I remember. <laughs> okay, and someone else is listening here, and, and for for those of you who don't know, it's Lisa Diller, and we'll introduce her in a second. But Woo-woo. Lisa, I'm I'm not Democrat any longer. Okay. All right, but don't judge me because I'm not Republican either. Right, yeah. he's a re- he's a recuperating Democrat. That's right. how okay. he described himself. I'm actually a recuperating political person. Political period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, okay. You were deeply political in the past and not I, so much now? I wouldn't say deeply political, but now I'm politically agnostic. Oh, okay. Yeah. I like that. Politically agnostic yeah, is that's legit. Where I stand sure. So anyways, I'm having this conversation with this guy. Mm-hmm. And there's still some things that we are definitely polar opposites with. But he is a fantastic guy. He's a mm-hmm. great guy. And we started talking about politics. And I could just tell that we still were polar opposites <laughs> on certain things. Okay. And I was just like, wowzers, we are totally, totally opposite. But what was beautiful about it mm-hmm. is I felt like, like this podcast we've been teaching, we had an amazing conversation. Mm-hmm. And here's why. Because I know him, I love him, and I know he's a great person, even though some mm-hmm. of his thoughts are just wrong. They're wrong? Yeah. Or, I'm just or wrong. Mean, is he going to come around to your side, then he's going to be right? Or is he just wrong because he's wrong? I mean, some of the things he's just wrong about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I tell him to his face. So, I don't yeah. agree Sounds with you on that. Sounds personal if you ask me. But anyways, I'm just saying that because... It doesn't sound very agnostic either, if I can say so, Jonathan. Well, I'm politically <laughs> agnostic, not opinionatedly <laughs> agnostic. Well, anyways, welcome to the Diversity on a Hill podcast. Yes, we're so glad you guys are with us once again. As a matter of fact, you know, this is a, this is a huge episode. Yeah, this is our first third-person segment. That's it. Yeah. We got our first guest, and we're so Ooh. glad that we have Lisa with us. I mean, it's going to be an glad amazing to be time. Here. Lucky I mean, me. I mean, you didn't hear a lot of the the off air conversations. They were great. So I was like, let's save some of that for when we're on air. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> so then we sat awkwardly silent for about fifteen mm, minutes. It's <laughs> terrible to have nothing to say. Right. Yeah, it was my fault. I needed to go get batteries. Thanks but anyhow, breaking the mood. Buddy. So, <laughs> so the idea is this: if it sounds a little different, we're in a different location. But we're just glad, once again, you're with us. And again, we want to hear from you, mm-hmm. right? So so you can connect with us at Diversity on a Hill with a C. Diversity spelled with a C. That's right. At gmail.com. Mm. And you can also connect with us on Instagram mm-hmm. at Diversity Di- on a Hill. Yeah. Again, with a C as well. With a C as well, please. Because if you put an S, you're not going to find us. All right. Well, let's jump into today's episode because we have a special guest. And we don't want to take too much of our time. And we don't want to hog the time. But first, we want to know who you are. Who are you? Oh, my. I am Lisa Clark Diller. And as I was saying off the air, that Clark family 
is very important to me. That's a big part of who I am. Uh, Jonathan asked if I had kids. When sometimes people say, do you have a family? And I'm always like, heck yeah, I have a family. It is a big, (laughs) huge family. It takes up tons of my time and energy. Mm -hmm. And I love them and they make me crazy. And I am not a parent. But I do spend a lot of time anting. Auntie. Which is a verb. And that's yeah. haunting. I'm I have three titles by my ten nieces and nephews. I am Tia Lisa, I am Sasa Lisa, and I am Aunt Lisa. That's awesome. Now so. now you're not one of them ants like on Geico though, right? Like the Geico. <laughs> the Geico uh, commercial. I am not one of those. I'm an auntie. Uh, it's not, I like it. I like it. I'm not an aunt. Well, yeah, no, they're like aunt. expired, expired, yeah. expired. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of house. I hope you can yeah. keep it. I mean, it's like <laughs> my goodness, like please. <laughs> Yes, those no, ants I, remind me a little bit of my aunt, but mm, I don't no. see you being one of those ants, Lisa. Not yet. I okay. have time. Yeah, you do I have, have time. time. Warning, you are warned, nieces and nephews. I have time to turn into that. <laughs> the older I get, the more I think, oh, I might be going. I see where they are from where I stand. That's right. I can tell where it's going. Um, I spend most of my time with 18 to 25-year-olds, however, which some of my nieces and nephews fall into that category because I teach at Southern Adventist University, which is a traditionally aged residential college camp campus. So there's a lot of people that teach college for older students and they have wider diversity in their ages. But the traditional college age in the United States is somewhere between 18 and 20. I feel like I'm being professorized right now. Well, look, when she said traditional... All that stuff sounded very smart. When she said traditionally aged, I started thinking about cheese. (laughs) 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 I have news for you, students. You're being aged right in front of me with lots of seasonings and a little bit Cheese is tasty, so it sure and, is. And they say like with fine wine, it tastes better with time. So mm. I, I I don't know that. I, I don't you, drink wine. So I tell I you, our students they do they get so good, and then they leave us. Mm. Like they're just getting like amazing, mm-hmm. and then off they go. And so <laughs> I know it hurts a little bit because they have they've matured well, mm-hmm. and they're all flavorful and right when they're starting to and, to get into the area yeah, where you right feel right where they're helpful yeah they're <laughs> they're helpful and they're adding value to what we do in our department and then off they go to be successful and so things. so it sounds like kind of like mary poppins ish mm, sure. where you got to help those sure. kids mature and grow before I mean, your they, eyes they fly away not but me they, right, exactly. i don't get to go <laughs> i it's like groundhog's day for me this is why i tell people with teaching college it's like and i'm sure it's like this at different levels of teaching you're if you you're just doing the same thing over and over and over again like and learning the same lessons and the same developmental arc over and over and over and if you don't like it if you get grumpy with it you know then you got to go do something else well, but i enjoy that arc lisa you said you're not a parent but that's what every parent feels every day of their life <laughs> with their child Touché. i tell my children the Touché. same thing every single day multiple Touché. times Yes. All right. So you're a professor. What do you teach? So I'm a historian and primarily I teach history, although I'm the chair of history and political studies. So um, occasionally I get to dip into political science things like this past uh, spring. I got to teach at American women and civil rights class, which was very fun. That is so neat. Yeah. Huh, I wonder was, why we invited was, you on here. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder. Ah. You needed a different kind of diversity. Yeah. Yes. You needed yes. some more X chromosomes. Mm. Yes. Yeah. And we needed a historian and someone who knows politics. I didn't know you. I didn't know the political part. Yeah. The political science part. Yeah. So that's that's a bonus for me right now. I thought yeah. I was doing good just with the history, but yeah, no. Dude. 
I yeah. nailed it even more. I like sure. it. Sure. Yeah. There you sure. go. We do have a proper political scientist, so I wouldn't want to like infringe on her territory at all. Right. But but because I I study the develop. I'm going to go into professor mode. Okay. Warning. Very good. I study the development of modern liberalism in the 17th century with people like John Locke and such. So John that's Locke, he was on Lost, right? <laughs> I've never seen Lost. You've never seen Lost. No. What? One Me of the neither. characters is no. John Locke. Oh, cool. Oh, that was yeah. funny. So, 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 get this. We need to have Lisa on here more often. Probably now. Now. <laughs> I don't know. I thought I was getting a regular invitation to come back multiple times. So I've saved up some of my little things. Like I'm not giving it to you all at once. I you're love gonna, it. You're gonna have to ask me back if you want other Score. things. Score. And yeah. it is probably good because we probably do need more of a female perspective. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. That and also someone who actually knows what they're talking about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, so that's a good yeah, thing. Most more of the important. time we're faking it. No, man. But you know it's what? It's like parenting. I, yeah. You're just making it up. I would really fist bump Lisa right now, but we're socially distanced. He's kind of far away. We but we're so glad once again we have you on. Thanks for having so, me. This so what are we going to talk about here, PJ? Well, here's my thinking, is that we've been talking a lot about kind of racial stuff and even political stuff. Our last episode was on political, uh, our political ideas. Um, but in reality... If we want to be well balanced, we need to know a little bit about the history mm. behind what's happening. And with racial tensions and stuff, I felt like I could even learn a little bit from maybe a little bit more of a historical context. And right now, kind of this first time we meet with you is a little more wide open as to what do you feel like is important in the historical arc of things for people maybe to realize during these times of social unrest because this isn't really new to our nation right it's not new to my life and right and and i know even before i was born there was a lot of things happening in the 60s and the 50s and so i would love just to if you had any thoughts and ideas of what maybe you think is important or what are some mm. touchstones that might be important for us to know as we continue the, these conversations with people around us because oftentimes i speak to people about racial stuff and i'm kind of maybe a little ignorant to some historical things that might be mm. important. So I'm going to like say a few things that are phrases that cover general topics mm -hmm. that I think people are don't know as much about as they should and are helpful in these conversations. Beautiful. And then if you want me to talk more about one of them, because I did not think about this being... So I think the invention of the notion of race is important in mm -hmm. the early modern period. I think separate from that, but not necessarily completely unconnected, is... Um, kind of race-based slavery and how that's different from other kinds of slavery that had existed mm. historically because I hear a lot of people say, oh, slavery always existed. Um, I think the, uh, the things that happened after the Civil War, the way the Civil War changed the way race happened in our, in our country are mm. important um, and the way we thought about race is, a, is a, another thing to talk about when segregation became more of a thing. And we, that, that's another subject. Um, I think looking at the fallout of the civil rights movement um, and how that shaped our world. Mm -hmm. um, previous to that, just kind of going in chronological order, I was, and then I, I skipped a section of history, which I think is really important, which is what happened with the Great Migration um, or between World War One and World, like the early 50s, like World War II, where the movement of black Americans out of the South and into the rest. And um, and I think what, ha what has happened with um, 
integration of schools and how that has affected us is also an important thing to talk about. I think sometimes people are also nervous about what words to use even today mm-hmm. when identifying people and talking yes. about stuff like that. That's and deal, that's yeah. not necessarily as historical as some of these other things we're talking about, but it's something I'm also comfortable discussing. So I don't know if any either of those, in the time that we have, we will, like I said, yeah, we're going to have to have you back for It sure. won't be all. I'm not going to try to do everything in this one, but I think those are all things that are significant. Well, let's start from the beginning then. All right. I, you want to go I chronological? Like, yeah, I like the concept of the the invention of race or mm-hmm. the concept of race, sure. as you put it. Um, I guess historically, I didn't realize there was, was there a, a touch point in that? Yeah. Uh, well, tell me. I, yeah. I have no idea. This is a learning experience for yeah. me. For both of us. So the word we use, English race, mm-hmm. that is sometimes when we read English translations of our Bible, we read the word race. And so we sometimes think, oh, race has always been around. Look, Jesus used it like mm-hmm. in the Great Commission or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, like yep. it, obviously he did not use the English word race. Um, so around the time English was invented as we know it, was a r- close to the same time that we had the integration of the Americas. So discovery of the Americas mm-hmm. is very important mm-hmm. um, because people, especially people in Europe, um, are trying to figure out who is everyone in the world. Like it transformed. The Afro-Eurasian landmass had been a unit. Like they had traded with each other across the Indian Ocean, Silk Road. They know about each other. They share a common g- uh, germ pool. So the diseases mm. are kind of similar and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And of course they knew each other was different. Mm-hmm. And people have known other people are different right. and people have had different words to use for people who are different from them, whether that difference is in somehow with the way they look or their language mm-hmm. or what they clothes they wear, etc. Mm-hmm. So it's not like we invented the notion of putting people in pots and calling them different names. So mm-hmm. that that didn't get invented. But with the invention of the Americas where we have then this is something that happens in Europe and again, we're talking about the English word and the way people that are English speaking understand these things. So we're talking about. England and and that that Atlantic world um, there. This happens about the same time as the Enlightenment. So the America, the Americas are discovered and integrated in the late 1400s. And we have the 1500s where people are just figuring out how not to die when crossing the Atlantic. Okay. So and they're sort of figuring out who people are and trying to settle and just surviving. And then in the 1600s, things get a little bit more settled and they start fighting some wars. But in the late 1600s, we have the scientific revolution. We start thinking, looking at things through microscopes. We start doing things like experiments. Hmm. Um, We start and then we call that the early enlightenment. And then what happens in the 1700s or the 18th century with the enlightenment is the categorization of knowledge. So this is when we call historians, just so you know, the modern world begins in the 17th century, 1700s, late 17th century, 18th century. In fact, if you take a class on like modern Europe versus pre-modern Europe, they will begin it at 1789. So we're like, we know the year the modern world began, which is not true. Of course, it's fuzzier than that. There's no one year the modern world began, but that's the French Revolution. French Revolution is usually seen as when tons of things change because it's kind of like the ending point culmination of the enlightenment period. That's mm-hmm. usually where we end the enlightenment. Right, exactly. So what happens with the enlightenment is everyone's trying to rack and stack knowledge. So you familiar? Maybe you are. You're, you're, you're old enough. Maybe you've even seen an encyclopedia. Oh, yeah. Uh, right? I had one of those. So, yeah. I totally. I'm, right. I'm totally you're old totally enough on that. Did, did you have a set at I, any place in your life? I did. I did. We mm-hmm. had um, kid, the Kids Craft Encyclopedia, that one. And then we also had one that was... Um, 
I forgot the name. He was living the high life. Whenever the book salesman <laughs> came to my yeah. house, my mom was like, we can't afford yeah. that. He has a school. He goes library. We, we got oh, Funkin' Wagnalls at the grocery store. If we bought enough groceries, you could get a volume. Like Nice. I don't know what kind of weird 80s sale that was. But anyway, do you have encyclopedias in your house now? No. Do you have your children ever use? Yeah, I don't no. think so. But the encyclopedia was an invention of the 18th century. This idea that we could put all of knowledge in like a set of books. Hmm. that That's the conceit of the 18th century. Oh, and wait, does Wikipedia count? So <laughs> totally, but it's just, version. it's just not as beautiful to say there sitting on my shelf is all of knowledge, yeah, which, is, which was the conceit of the 18th century. Like mm-hmm. they really felt like they could. They also, did you have like a science class where you had to like memorize like kingdom phylum species do you remember those things in science i remember class? those categories but I I, mm. I I was the kind of student that i i did not memorize it but i knew at some you point know I it's had a, to. you know it's a thing i, I knew it's a thing it's my a kids thing. brought something back my kids are still oh they're smart that. so yeah. that's the smart kids right yes. they're, they're the ones that know stuff we're we're, we're busy forgetting them. it right. yeah, i did just tell my college students uh last week that when I was in college, I was trying to explain to them how not to be perfectionistic and how you're never going to get it all right. Uh, but I was like, when I was in college, I definitely had this feeling that I was sort of this close to maybe having it all sorted out. Like there were a few things I needed to work on, you know, like there were some things I needed to sort out, but I, if I could just get a hold of them mm-hmm. and I was like, <laughs> it was all downhill from there. Like that's as good as it got. I was as good as I'm ever going to get when I was in college. It's sort of like that with knowledge when you're a kid. It's like when you're learning stuff, like it's all downhill. Well, we're I want forgetting. you to know that that's we're busy probably forgetting an it. X chromosome problem because uh, I be. thought I had it all together. I didn't even think oh, I was you didn't, getting you, you didn't think, you, oh, you thought. I didn't, no, I thought I was like, I'm, I'm good. Uh-huh. I got this all figured out. Then I got married. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then I realized. That you did not. I did not have it all together. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it, at first it was jarring. And as a word we used before recording, very confrontational to yes. me. <laughs> <laughs> but confrontational in a good way. I mean, I've become, yeah. I've realized I've, because of my wife, I've become a better person. But yeah. it's funny because she's like, she'd tell me these things. You know, like, how did you do this? I was like, yeah. I don't know. I just got it done. Yeah. My yeah. pastor father always said that about my mother. He's like, that's what God gave you Mary because yeah. we, we need someone to help us confront our sins right. and confess them. And yeah. And grow in many ways. Yes. Right. That's, that's part, right. one of our, uh, you know. So I can. Yeah, that's one of our I can connect goals. encyclopedias okay. to race. Do it. Ooh. So. Um, so the idea was that you were racking and stacking knowledge. So the kingdom mm-hmm. phylum species, they're traveling all over the world. By the time of the 18th century, they've circumnavigated the globe. That's a big word, right? Mm-hmm. And they've, they've started like doing a lot more exploration. They've got people in a lot of places and every expedition, they've got little scientists on board, like drawing the species they've got. They kill them, mm-hmm. they bag them up, they try to stuff them, they try to take them back to, well, in the English speaking world to England, but mm-hmm. there's people doing it in other places in Europe. And then they're kind of categorizing. What is this person? They just, they were, they loved figuring out what all this stuff is. The Victorians in the 19th century are also big, like, catalogers of things. So they're trying to do this with people as well. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. So who are, who is everyone? And let's categorize them mm. and rack and stack because mm-hmm. that's what categorization does mm-hmm. um, and figure out what pots these all fit in. So basically, this is when the notion of large groupings of people. So again, the Europeans all saw themselves as different. 
they were very tribal. They saw each other as enemies and potentially did, the Irish were a separate race the English would talk about, right? Yeah. Um, and, but the Italians were another race mm-hmm. and the Catholics could sometimes be a race. And so they had talked about different groups of people like that in those terms all along. But now they start saying, okay, when they start, it takes 100, 150 years for this to coalesce. It does not happen overnight, right? We're talking about long periods of time. Right. But by the time we get to the end of the 18th century, when people are talking about race, what they're talking about is what people look like. Mm. And they're talking often about what they would, would call color, which, hmm. of course, we know that's not really scientific because people, especially our the kind of same shape of brownish in tons of parts of the world. That's great. And so there's other, but this, th- th- don't don't let the realities mess with a nice schema, right? Mm-hmm. Like we have a nice little schema here that's kind of continent-based. Again, I taught mm-hmm. world geography for many years and I have a great book that I recommend to you called The Myth of Continents. Oh, um, like cool. Europe does not exist as a continent. It is invented as a continent to sort of, think about what make about whiteness mm. because it is clearly a peninsula of Asia. Mm. Um, it is not by any definition you could think of of what it's one of the first lies we tell our kids in elementary school that they are, we teach them to memorize that as a continent. What is that? What makes that a continent? It's Thank you a continent. for telling me I've been lying to my children my whole life. No, just for, just first grade <laughs> teachers. That's all. Those, no, I've been, those godly people. We that, love to travel. And I've been telling them, you know, we're going to, yeah. we've been to Europe. Hey, we're in yeah. Europe. Great. Well, more. you have been Thanks to Europe. Here's the other dirty little secret that is also associated with race, which is um, just because we make it up doesn't mean it's not, we don't make it true. So we invent things and then we make them true. Oh. So just because mm. race doesn't exist in a biological form in terms of anything that's sort of identifiable with DNA or things under the skin or anything like that, or even sometimes what is actually true on the, in the skin you're in, mm-hmm. um, doesn't mean it doesn't, it isn't real because we make it real by acting as if it is real. So we make, like someone doesn't get to say, I'm not this, you right. know, we know what they are and we, we do act we act as if it's real. So that's a slight, that's a more modern element here. I don't, we can get, we can talk about that a little bit more later, but in the 17th and 18th century, people are being categorized by these colors that we horrifically sometimes sang about when I was a kid um, in Sabbath school about all the colors of the world. Correct. That's okay. We can, we can, we absolutely will say that. Yes, we can absolutely quote that. (laughs) So, and, and that those were supposed to match continents effectively. Interesting. Um, and the, the idea was that the flora and fauna and humans of all of those continents um, could be lumped together. So you could say something was South American and that the people in South America are a certain way and that they look a certain way and that they're a certain level of civilization and you could connect them to kind of climate. Even though people in parts of Central South America have more in common with people in parts of Central America who have more in common with parts of North America. So, but this is what they would, they were categorized. So you're saying stereotypes even started. Yes. And, and again, they were trying to do this very scientifically. So these are the scientists of the day that are doing this. Um, And like one of my colleagues likes to remind us that we like scientists of the past that we disagree with, we call pseudoscience, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but they were just scientists. Oh, it's called fake news. 
Today we call it fake news. Yeah, yeah. okay. Anything we don't like, we say that about, right? <laughs> right yeah. Exactly. So it's we we want we like like race science and eugenics from the past mm, where people yeah. were trying to say this is we need to be weeding things out of these areas, um, which comes again out of this scientific movement of the Enlightenment and racking and stacking, and they they would categorize civilizational aspects too. Mm. So some people were more civilized and some were less, and were they some of people some people were optimistic racists and categorized people and thought everyone could move up and become more civilized. So when you use the term racist, there were you using it as in looking down on them or just defining them people who define people by race and more to the point when they use the term race Mm -hmm. they are not only talking about however rightly or wrongly this may be what people look like Mm -hmm. which you know again when you say someone is black we're not usually saying they actually have black skin. Mm-hmm. We're usually have something else that we're talking about with that. Um, so if you're not only talking about what they look like, um, which may or may not actually accurately display them, but you are assuming an entire set of categories associated with that. So this is what they did in the 18th century. It wasn't that just that they were came up with colors and names for races. Mm-hmm. They were saying that there were attributes okay. associated with that. You know, this is interesting because... Um, I know like PJ and I, we're Hispanic, so we talk with our hands and we're really good with that. And I, I'm watching Lisa and I'm like beating myself up right now with my, uh, with my microphone. But the idea is Lisa's also like, are you Hispanic at all? I am not. See, but I'm she, a Clark but <laughs> and we are big talkers. Yeah. That Clark family is awesome. So, so the idea is this, she's talking with her hands. She fits right in. So you're going to hear these sounds. And it's like Lisa using her hands across yes. the table and all Sorry, that stuff. No, 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 no. It's not something to Here's apologize Kershaw about. Here's worrying about the audio again. <laughs> no, no, no. It's this not is about his, the audio. This is his passive-aggressive way of telling no, you, chill out, no, it's not. Lisa no, no. Clark Miller. <laughs> no, I'm just talking about how when we label people, mm-hmm. it goes beyond just right. like what they look right. like. It's characteristics that right. they have. Right. Like they say about Hispanics, we're loud, mm-hmm. we're proud, and we talk with our hands. Yeah. <laughs> but the idea right. is, you know, it... it it's not just, you know, it's just interesting because right. I see it play out. I'm like, this makes perfect sense. Right. So let me let me try to wrap my, uh, you know, I, like I said, I wasn't a great student at school, but I love what you're saying. So what I'm getting here is that they were almost trying to classify humans as they were trying to classify animals yes. as well. Like yes. species. And so you're a very good student. Right, 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 right. <laughs> and it's PJ that I'm calling you? Pastor Jonathan, Pastor which we just. Jonathan. No, we just close that into PJ. Yeah. Right. So, so yes, PJ. So he he summarized his in PJ and then he's like Curcio you have to use PK. Right. Which is Pastor K or Pastor Curcio I use mm-hmm. Pastor K here, but you know, it's okay. I, I, I can them. call you Jonathan and Curcio and that's all right. Too. Yeah, that's fine. I, I mean, J- no one's going to know who you're talking about. They're like, who is she talking no, no, to? I, what I podcast you, is she I, on now? So this is a good lesson <laughs> for when we're talking about races. It's important to call people by what they want to be identified mm. as. So how they ask to be identified is the right way to think about it. Or if you're interested, you know, and you get to know them well enough, you'll be like, I, I've, I've asked people, sorry. I've yeah. asked people, how do you identify sometimes? Just because if we're starting to talk about things, I'm interested often in that. Um, and if they don't want to talk about it, they're like, I know I'm American. Okay, fine. That tells you something too. So that's fine. That's right. You By know, the way, you can call me whatever you want. Um, <laughs> I don't really care. But you see, this is, this is where I go also. And I don't want to take too much time because this kind of takes us on, on, on a tangent and we kind of do that. Well, sometimes. this is what we're good at, but the, <laughs> very good at tangents. but the idea is this, you know, the golden rule mm-hmm. says, you know, do unto others, you would have them do to you. Mm-hmm. But then we said the platinum rule 
was do unto others the way they right. want to be treated. So right. kudos right. to you, Lisa. Well right. done. That's yeah, right. but then I contradicted it somehow. But anyway, yeah, you okay. <laughs> it's kind of what he likes. You came up with like a copper rule. Or yeah. something. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I, I just I like to think about the other side, and some people are like, well, what if the way they want to be treated isn't? He loves correct. playing devil's advocate. Just don't say the truth. How come it's the devil's advocate? Why can't it be Jesus' advocate? Who says that I got to be the devil? Because Jesus is not see, contrarian. You see, he's yeah. not contrarian. That's good. That's good. I see. I see. We're like, we can't just let it lie. No, no. It's not interesting if there's oh, not a controversy. I have a problem with just letting right. it lie. No. I need to, I need to learn. no one wants to listen to everyone going, yes, you're right. No, you're right. No, you're right. Like, <laughs> let's just do what you have to say from now on. So, so um, what happens with race is that, um, yes, people start attributing characteristics to it, but it's still a little bit kind of fuzzy. What happens in the Americas is that race becomes policed by law. So, and that is deeply connected to the history of the Atlantic slave trade. So there are two kinds of people in uh, Spanish America, which that was, that's one of the things that I study and did all kinds of fancy grad school stuff in is, is Latin American conquest and colonization and Spanish empire. Um, so I'm familiar, um, but, uh, they, they were mostly dealing with people that were European or Spaniards. They called them even if they were not necessarily all Spaniards mm-hmm. and Portuguese and, um, and the Indians. So they lumped all the ethnic groups into the word Indios, you know, or Indians. Yeah. And so they lost a lot of their individual identity and national identities. If you're using nation and it's sort of you know, political unit sense. Um, they lost a lot of those identities um, when the, the Spaniards came and were like, oh, the Indians are all dying out. A lot, a lot of people will say the Spaniards just came and like just killed everybody. Mm-hmm. They did kill a lot of people and they did conquer. They, they engaged in warfare, but they didn't want everyone to die because they wanted them to be their workers. So they did not want them to all die. They needed serfs. They all wanted to be lords of the manor like back home mm-hmm. and they needed peasants and they wanted the local people to be their peasants. So they of didn't course. mean for them to all die of disease. You know, mm-hmm. that was not their wow. goal because then who's going to work? Mm-hmm. I don't really want to. Oh, but if you look at your map, not very far away from South America, right there is West Africa. Yes, it is. And so they were able to, they started importing laborers, especially to Portugal, Portugal did, especially because Portugal had been the first ones to leave Europe and go down in the early 1400s down the coast of, of West Africa. They would do little loops. They'd go down and hit a spot and develop a trade and then they'd go back and then they'd go a little further next time and then they'd go back and they'd go a little further. And all along they set up factory forts and trading centers and they often intermarried with the local people there. So throughout the 1400s they eventually get around the bottom and then all up the coast of East Africa, the Swahili coast, the Portuguese are all there for a hundred years before anybody else did and labor so this is where the the we may not have time to talk about this element we may need to come back to talk about how enslavement was different in other parts of the world compared to what it was like in chattel-based plantation-based slavery in the americas race-based slavery as it developed in americas was different from any other kind of slavery that had existed and um but the portuguese had these long-term relationships and labor is a major export of lots of places. So slaves are part of the things people are selling and West Africans, just like people in North Africa and Asia and Europe sold slaves. So the slave trade 
was happening well before. It's a global phenomenon. Right. I mean, Joseph is a slave exactly. that's sold. Like, right. And we have this all over. There's Chinese slaves and Indian slaves. So slavery is a human thing. Humans. And, and just to like go ahead and delve into that for a minute, the reasons people become slaves in the pre-modern world is for three reasons, basically. One is you, there aren't like, there's not a state-based prison system where you can just pay people. I know we say like mm. Joseph sitting in prison forever and ever, but these, they, they're not really anything like what we have as modern prison. You can't just pay to have people sitting in a place forever and being fed and cared for. It's just not a thing that exists. But so, it makes a lot more sense if you're talking about the Joseph story because he was given the keys to the prison. Right. He was given this responsibility, which doesn't make sense if we're thinking about it in our mo in our modern terms. So what you just said just kind of blew my mind a little bit because it, it gives me a different picture of what kind of prisoner he actually was right. and why he was given some of this responsibility. And he's sold into slavery, but even Potiphar, as he's working in his right. house, he has a lot of responsibility. Mm -hmm. So slavery is partly, okay, if you go into debt, mm -hmm. if you don't have money, you all you have is your labor. So wealth is measured in terms of control of labor. So Abraham is wealthy because he controls the labor of 200 people in his household. Um, and there isn't like paid servants back then. You mm -hmm. should always translate servant for slave in the Bible. Like when somebody mm -hmm. is a servant, their, their labor is owned right. by that person. And so that in terms of like what, what they Ooh. actually were. Um, okay. What you're doing here is really blowing my mind here a little bit. Yep. Cause now you and, think and here about because it, it changes the whole paradigm of the way we view even slavery in America, because, and this is another conversation we're going to have another day, but we're talking about, let's say some of these. Uh, Thomas uh, Jefferson Thomas, Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson. No, yeah, no. Declaration of Independence author. Yeah, 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 yeah. that guy. Mm -hmm. Who they've said we need to be careful how we promote him or take him down because of his owning of slaves. If we go back to biblical times, we are dealing with the same thing with some of our even our biblical heroes, mm -hmm. which is something we don't realize. The people that we idolize and make heroes. If mm -hmm. we take a closer look we might see the secrets we don't really want to know. Well, you don't even have to think about it in terms of slavery. <laughs> I mean, what's going on with women and oh, those patriarchs? Yeah, I mean, so no, no so we're, we, we'd, we've had to do that a long time ago if we're paying attention anyway. If you're actually reading your Bible, I always tell my friends who don't want to talk to their kids about sex, I'm like, they're not reading the Bible for themselves, are they? No, I, I always... They're not actually reading the Bible, are exactly. they? Exactly. Because if you haven't talked to them about that, <laughs> they are not reading the Old Testament because that's how I learned. Yes. Um, because yes. I'm like, Mom! Yep, 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 exactly. <laughs> and Adam knew Eve. I was yeah. like, uh, 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 I thought they knew each other I get already. you one better. Lot's daughter slept with him and had babies. Come on now. So well, I, I asked I my mom. I asked my mom. I was like, if you sleep with someone, do you have babies? And she was like, sort of. And I was like, because I sleep with daddy all the time. Uh, and I, don't, I was six. Uh, that's right, that's and so right. yeah, we yeah, had yeah. to have a, she was a community health nurse, so she was totally prepared right, for right, all no, of that. Of course, of course. But, but so you have, you have um, enslavement for, for debt right. because wealth is labor. Mm -hmm. And so you don't have money. And so what are they going to do? Are they going to kill you? Are they just going to beat you? They don't have, we, we eventually a long time later put people in debtor's prison. So you had to sell yourself or your children and we see that to earn money. All the time. All the time. All the time. Right. So right. I teach a class called Pirates, Captives, and Slaves where all we do is kind of, we like every day there's another like story of scripture. I mean, it's also historic, historical, but for my illustrations, I like to use scripture and it's just full of it all the time. Mm -hmm. The other element you get for is if someone's committed a crime. 
again, mm -hmm. in our country, a lot of times people would be fined for things. Right. You could, are you going to beat, hit, hit them, beat them, chop their hand off? Yeah, you can do some of that stuff. But also a more lucrative way is also to make to sell them into slavery, especially if they're, they're crime. And the third element is if they're like a prisoner of war. Um, so you could either have to kill, if somebody is, has fought you in yeah. a battle and you didn't kill them, like, well, you're not going to just turn them loose and let them go. They're going to live, they're going to fight another day. So you want to control their labor and, and kind of coerce them into that. That's a way to kind of control that. So those are the main reasons people are enslaved. Now, most of the time, historically speaking, pre-modern slaves, um, are not, they are almost always foreign in the sense that it's very hard to keep controlling the labor of your next door neighbor if they can always go running home and they've got people to defend them and stuff like that. It really helps preferred slaves. I keep doing this. I don't You're know fine. Um, preferred slaves are children um, and women um, because they're easier to control. Also, women produce more enslaved people or right. more labor, even if they're not like like the, all of the people in Abraham's household procreating that allow for him to have a lot more labor. Exactly. Um, so women's labor is a double entendre um, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. women labor to end right. most their, They've got two <laughs> forms of labor they have to engage in. Right. Um, and children will grow up. They will learn the ways of the household. So what you want to do is you want to have slightly foreign. So if they have to come from a little further away. They won't always be running home. They won't feel as empowered. They'll they'll be easier to do. So that is why you would sometimes either sell their labor off to a different place or capture them. So people, a lot of wars in the past, including like all of medieval Europe wars, are looting and raiding wars. Again, we see this all the time. Mm -hmm. David's looting and raiding. You've got, you know, the story of Naaman and the little maid. We, these are people, I mean, the little maid story is amazing because she would, like, taken captive in a looting raid and then brought back you can see two things going on. I like to tell it as a children's story to talk about the fact that she would have had to forgive them mm -hmm. for killing her family yeah, exactly. and stealing her in order to even care about them in any way. Mm -hmm. That God had softened her heart to have that. But it's also a useful story because you can see why girls and children are more attractive as slaves because they're going to develop affections and dependence and relationships as they grow up with the people who've enslaved them. Right. Um, so that's the more secular, non-spiritually God side of that story. <laughs> right. But um, but when you when those who, that's who you want as enslaved people, and they eventually become part of your community. So slavery isn't inherited forever, and it's also not like racially identifiable. So as soon as those people meld in culturally, this is why women and children are so useful because they are culturally malleable. They're they're flexible. Then then they become part of your people. You're not having to worry about them anymore. They they are just now part of the larger community. Mm -hmm. What becomes very different mm -hmm. about the Atlantic slave trade is that it becomes race-based so that when you look at mm -hmm. someone, you can tell if they're supposed to be enslaved or not. Wow. So that, does, that doesn't happen instantly in mm -hmm. any way. Mm -hmm. um, this is a way oversimplification of like a 250-year process. Of course. Um, but the idea is that when you pulled labor from a totally different place, what you see so much in captivity narratives. So captivity in the Bible and in and in the life that we have now, I mean, there's captivity narratives are amazing. There's tons of them where people are taken captive in looting economies and a lot of what you're, the people are the loot. 
So you're getting you're getting wealth because you're getting the labor because mm-hmm. there aren't in most places in the world there isn't animal labor. Humans are the primary labor because right. there's only domesticatable animals in a very small part of the world. Mm-hmm. So there were no domesticatable animals in the Americas, for instance, mm-hmm. right. before Europeans got there. Mm-hmm. So there were no cows, there were no horses, there was nothing, um, no sheep, no nothing, and so. You have you had you the, the native peoples who lived here would go on raids, take each other captive, and that's who did the work. Um, and so, when you have um, more of that, you're wealthier. Um, and so, when in the Americas you're starting to bring in people to do that labor, um, they are not able to be ransomed back because if you can get money for those people, if you're close enough by, these captivity narratives that you read, when people are close enough by, if their family sold them to be in debt but they're able to save enough money, they'd go back and ransom mm-hmm. them and bring them home. Mm-hmm. This is why the, the, the metaphor for ransom in scripture is so much more powerful for people who live back then than it is for us. For To be redeemed, to be a right. redeemed captive, mm-hmm. that whole early modern, there's tons of redeemed captives all the way up till the early 1800s. We are engaging in redeeming captives who have been taken as part of looting economies. And the notion of them is that they would eventually integrate. You would lose them as part of your culture's identity because they're going to learn the language, they're going to intermarry, they're going to procreate, they're going to become part of that, and you lose them. And so you redeem them back in. But but some, but tons of people never got redeemed. In fact, Native Americans took Europeans captive all the time, all the way through the 18th century, and very few of those Europeans wanted to come home. We have stories of the people who wanted to, but the percentage of people who chose to come back when they had the option is much lower because it was, they were fully integrated. They became sisters and daughters and sons mm-hmm. and brothers of the people who, they, who integrated them in, and it was not a bad life. So what happens when you take Africans over to, and, and again, they were not Africans. So sometimes people are like, Africans sold each other into slavery. Well, Europeans fought each other in wars. Like, mm-hmm. People had different identities. They did not see themselves as Africans. They right. had. They were from different kingdoms. They had were completely different people. Right. They didn't know they'd been put into one pot called black or African, and that they were all supposed to identify together. Mm-hmm. Like they right. were people who bought and sold each other, just like Europeans bought and sold and captured and killed each other, and people in other continents that lived near each other did the same thing. Right. Um, and so, as part of that, slaves were part of that, and they found that hey, there are these people that come up to the coast and are willing to buy our excess slaves. So who's most valuable in slavery? The women and children. Children and women. Mm-hmm. Who's less interesting? Who do you not want to keep around? Grown-up men. men. Yeah. So the Europeans will take those guys. They take them. They buy them and off they go and they're no trouble to the people back home. So you have this surplus market and then they take them across the Atlantic and guess what? You don't get to redeem them anymore. They're too far away to be ever wow. redeemed yeah. or or ransomed. Mm-hmm. So when you capture someone, so pirates do the same thing. Pirates take people captives because they want loot. They want booty, mm-hmm. right? right? They want right. loot. Mm-hmm. They want, and and you can, um, if you, they're very happy to get money instead of the people because mm-hmm. they were just going to sell those people anyway. And so whether they're being captive, so lots of pirates will just hold people for ransom mm-hmm. because they want money and, right. and people will give it to them. Exactly. So this is not something that is happening to these Africans. So there's no chance really for them to get to go back home. They're not seen as being on a pair. They are like forever kind of at the mercy of this local environment. And so because they're forever part of that local environment as a slave, that's, it's, if I'm understanding this right, they're starting to be identified as this well, particular people. Right. And because laws get made 
So if things had been, all things being equal, because guess what? Indians are also sometimes taken captives as slaves. Mm -hmm. And there are, are Europeans who are indentured servants, so lots of people like to say that's the same as slavery, but what is not the same is the fact that who you are in your body is starting to be identified and laws mm -hmm. are being spent around regulating those bodies mm -hmm. in different ways. That it, didn't, it almost didn't matter what you identified with culturally. Like, so you might feel like you were just, you know, you went and lived with the Native Americans and hopefully if no European laws touched you, you might be able to keep doing that. But because if you look identifiably in your body, like you're gonna fall into a certain category, they gradually started regulating laws because um, free blacks, there were totally free blacks in South America and Central America, and some of them owned slaves, and, and but over time, um, especially in places where the population of black people, most of whom were enslaved, to white people, who most of whom were the owners and enslavers. So this is especially true in the Caribbean. It's especially true in Brazil. Mm -hmm. um, and then it becomes true in the American South mm -hmm. um, that there are more laws regulating because there's a worry that people are identifying with each other and might ransom each other. Again, remember that proximity mm -hmm. to freeing each right, other right. and might serve as a way to make the other population feel uncomfortable. So you start having more and more laws that make it harder for free black people to act like free people. You know, they become restricted where they can live, um, how much land they can own, you know, who they can testify in court against, mm -hmm. things mm -hmm. like that. And so what happens is even though ens enslavement becomes increasingly um, and this happens in the American South, especially after the British stopped the slave trade. And so you can no longer buy slaves from Africa. So you have to, this is a horrifying phrase I'm gonna use, you have to grow your own. So you really wanna make sure that you're not losing those slaves. And so you don't want them to see that they could be free. You don't, there's right. laws against any, if you free your slaves in Virginia. So they had a debate in the 1820s in Virginia about whether you could, um, whether if you freed your slaves, encouraging people to free their slaves, and they decided by like a vote of like two to not let people free their slaves. If you freed your slaves, your slaves had to leave the state. Mm. And lots of slaves, this is the enslaved people, this is the only place that they had lived, and this is the only place of people they knew. And whether they were happy to have to leave the state or not, and some of them did, many of people freed their slaves, but then they had to leave. And this is a very traumatic thing because this is where their skills were, this is where their family might be, all of that right. kind of stuff. It depressed the desire of enslavers to free their enslaved people. Hmm. Doing this. Um, and so we made choices collectively as humans to make laws that made it harder or easier for people to fully integrate mm -hmm. and that made people have to identify and to think, and what happens is people, when you make these rules, so I have a very Adventist-y example. I don't know if your audience is familiar with the thing that the Seventh-day Adventist Church has divided itself into structures called conferences. Mm -hmm. And I belong to a conference, when I grew up in a conference in West Virginia called the Mountain View Conference, which has about 2,100 people in the whole conference. So maybe fewer members even than the College Dale Church, perhaps. So <laughs> we right. have an entire <laughs> conference structure and a summer camp and everything for that many people. I remember when I was growing up, there was talk at the union of maybe having parts of West Virginia go with Virginia and Ohio and Maryland mm -hmm. or Pennsylvania. Um, and you would, you, thought, you would have thought like we were just being exterminated. We were being wiped off the map because 
structures, human beings invent structures and then identities form around those structures. So even departments, if you have a department and they're like, oh, we're going to eliminate that department. Like now that's my identity. Like, what do you mean? You're going to get rid of that? Like, this is who we are. You're going to, we will no longer exist if we draw the lines differently, (laughs) you know? And so this is, we make things up. And so when we create new identities, people began, so someone might not might not look like they were black but if they had been raised in a black community this i'm talking about the 1800s or the mm-hmm. 1900s certainly right. even to now this is who they identify as That's and this is who people think they are and what we find is we've had recently in academia you may not have leaked out to others but we've had pe- white people passing as black I, I heard that story. Oh, I was yeah, going to bring yeah, that, that up to him. It happens. It happens. So again, what makes yeah. you what you are is mm-hmm. an interesting thing. And so I, without commenting on that and all the things going on there, what I will say is that historians have, because of that, have been talking about white people in the past who passed as black, which was never, people were, laws were super worried that black people would pass as white because that's where the privilege is. Like the assumption right. was who would ever pa- try, what white person would ever try to pass as black? So mm-hmm. like, of course you don't want to be black, but there have been people. That's right. And can you guess what white people might want to pass as black in the past? Or why? No. That's a great question. It's for love. Oh. Because when interracial marriage is Mm. banned and you want to marry somebody, Mm. there were white people that would try to pass, would pass as black. And if the community agrees that they are, and this is how, like, the whole notion of native blood, like, there's no way of knowing what percentage blood you have of anything. I'm that's sorry right. for everybody that's trying to do DNA tests. There's no <laughs> such thing as a percentage. You don't have a percentage of your blood that is something, yeah. that is not a thing, or your mm-hmm. DNA you that is a thing. Me, you just saved me $99. It is, yes. you, should, you shouldn't worry about that. But right. this is what I hear from my indigenous friends, that as scholars that study this, is that... Um, what makes you traditionally always with native people, and I've already said this, they are, they are a rating economy, they integrate people in all the time. What makes you is that you participate in the community. And this is who you are, is you are a person who participates in this community. Mm. But also, um, in a world in which we policed people based on our ability to kind of identify, and it was important to control certain bodies based on what you identify, mm-hmm. what I will end this with is explaining that race and race laws in the United States were invented for white over black. Mm -hmm. So that's why even we talk about lots of other colors or races, and people were like, well, I'm this race, you know why, when we talk about race, why are you always talking about black and white? Because that, in our country, was what Mm -hmm. what race and race law was invented for, was for white people to be able to control black bodies. Um, And other people got caught in the cracks right. around all of that. Right, of um, but that's what it was invented for in the U.S. Well, you know, I, I don't know about you, PJ, but I can feel my brain dendrite just going right now. Like J- Just the fact that you said dendrite makes my <laughs> dendrite work. Uh, you do know some science. So, uh, uh, well, well, so thanks, here's, here's thanks the thing. for making me feel even dumber. <laughs> no, no, that's great. not it. So here's the, here's the thing. Lisa, you have been amazing. Yeah, I mean, this has been... We may have to, like, do a series on, uh, about this, if, if you're okay with that. It's fine. We're going to have to work it out. Um, yeah, because there are some other things that you said at the beginning. I'm like, oh, that sounds interesting. I mean, that I, sounds interesting. I, like, wrote that down a whole bunch of stuff to, to talk about um, here. But what's beautiful here, so I, I kind of want to turn this a little bit. Um, I, I know you need to leave, but I just kind of want to wrap it up. So I think there's a lot of things we need to learn here. Yes. And kind of process, because it's never as clean as we think it is. Mm-hmm. It's never as 
black and, and white. white. Ah, I know you're going to say that. Right, I see right, it right. coming. Like. <laughs> um, and so I learned a lot about, uh, about certain aspects. But well, something that really uh, stood out to me is the identification mm. uh, portion of it. And as, as a pastor, I, I, I need to bring it back to here. It's important who we identify with. Yes. Because if we're identifying with a certain, even a certain race, that's socially constructed or a certain nationality or a, even sometimes even a certain denomination. I'll go there. Um, you, you know, it puts us in very precarious spots where our identity is threatened when actuality our identity should be in Christ. Amen. That's and right. that's, what's going to really draw, like bringing us full back to the first thing that mm. I brought up, why I can have these conversations with that friend of mine that I agree that I disagree with on such opposing levels is that we developed an identity in Christ. Mm. Amen. And that's why we can have these conversations mm. without yeah. getting mad and annoyed. Because I'll right. read a Facebook post and get so annoyed. I can't believe it. But when he says it to me, I'm like, all right, well, let's talk this through. It's because our identity is in Christ. That's right. Um, and so that's what I want our audience to kind of remember mm. um, about this, even through these tough times. But, I mean, I learned a lot. My brain's going. I want to talk more, but I know you need to leave. Uh, you had something to say. Yeah, so let's hear from you. If you have questions that you want us to ask Lisa when we bring her back on, you know, reach out to us again at diversityonahill at gmail.com, diversity with a C, or uh, shoot us a comment at our Instagram. Uh, is it page? Well, I don't know Instagram to... account. Account. Thank account. you. Thank you. There Diversity you go. There you go. See, Hill. see, you're the smart one. What is it again? What? It's only I'm only smart with dumb things. No, man. I was talking about what. What is our uh, hashtag? Or diversity at... on a hill. Thank you very much. I would just like to say, I feel like I'm going to be left out of the P game. I'm professor, but I could be P. But PL just doesn't have the same ring as PJ and PK. Oh, you could be PC. It's not as hard. I could be PC. Oh, I could be PC. Come on. Come on. We like this. I was was thinking about it. I was like, you know, we should should let. That's funny. Or is it last name is? D. Dillard. D. PD. Well, you're not the police department. I know. Yeah, yeah. we don't okay, want to go there right now. PC's funnier. PC's funnier than PC. Funnier. We like that. Like so it'll be so it'll be PJ, PK, and PC. Yeah. Uh, so, man. So, PJ, why don't you pray for us as we wrap Let's it up? Let's do this. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we've learned a lot. I know I've learned a lot. And it's got my brain moving. But most of all, Lord, I want these uh, new things that I've learned to be in lockstep with what you want from my life. And so, Lord, I pray that none of this will go into the netherworld, but instead will go into my soul mixed with the Holy Spirit and that it will move me and move all of us to have conversations with people that lead to Jesus, that lead to our identity in Christ and not our identity Mm -hmm. in what this world is trying to tell us. That's right. We don't want to be fabricated and and just put in lists and and people trying to put us in a box. Instead, we want to have the freedom that is available through our God. Amen. We thank you for your love and grace in this time together. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, hey, grace and peace. This is PJ, and I'm out. And PK here. Many blessings. Till next time. Oh, yeah. PC, too. Take care, guys. (laughs)